This is a black boy, what you gonna do out here on your own? This is a black boy, don't you know remember that don't want you grow? This is a black boy, what you gonna do when you time to get old? This is a black boy, this is a story that ain't never told. This is a black boy, what you gonna do out here on your own? This is a black boy, don't you know remember that don't want you grow? This is a black boy, what you gonna do? Okay, so welcome back, people. It's been a long time. This is Black Disabled Men Talk. You know, Leroy Moore, and uh, we're going to go down the line and introduce ourselves. But um, before we do that today, um, we have, we're doing Africa, um, talking to um, disabled brothers in Africa. So um, let's first introduce ourselves and we can introduce the guests and let's go. Um, who wants to go first? I guess we'll go down the line. Um, my name's Otis. I'm a um, black disabled artist out of California. I do graphic designs and comic books and I'm also a spoken word artist. And I've been with Crip Hop for three, going on four years now. And I've been loving every minute of it. So I'm definitely excited about this conversation, especially speaking with a brother from the diaspora. Right? So I'm definitely excited about this. Yeah. Uh, Keith, you want to go next? Uh, sure. Hello, my name is Keith Jones. I am the co-founder, one of the co-founders of Crip Hop Nation, along with Leroy Moore and Rob Denoise Temple. May rest in peace. I am a... Leroy, what am I? Emmy Award winner, baby! Emmy Award. Emmy, my man! Yes, Emmy. Recently, Crip Hop Nation was awarded for their participation in Rising Phoenix, which is one of the few, if not only, disabled groups to ever win an Emmy of any kind. So that's who I am. So let's go. All right. So I'm Leroy Moore, um, founder of Crip Hop Nation with Kijonjan Rodinois Temple, an author of five books, also, um, now I'm a PhD student in UCLA. Love to be here. Love you guys, brothers. And um, yeah, let's do this. Latif. I am Latif McLeod, a PhD candidate at California Institute of Integral Studies in the Anthropology and Social Change Department. And I am also an author and poet. And I am excited about this conversation. Yeah. So, Latif, you, you, you want to introduce our guest? Okay. Um, my name, my name is Timmy Tope. Um, I run a, an NGO back in Lagos, Nigeria. I work with kids with special needs through adaptive te technology and adaptive cycling. And I also, we also help them. Young children, boys and girls, 
back to school through our back to school to school programs. So I'm excited about this talk because I mean I've known Lati for five years, so it's really really an honor to be here today to share my own experience about black disabled in Africa. Thank you. Great, great. And um, unfortunately, Ronnie Ronnie from Uganda uh, couldn't make it. Um, he's a member of the Quipot Nation. He's from Uganda. So, so yeah, let's just jump in. Let's just talk. Let's get at it. So, yes, my question is what was it like growing up with CP and Lagos? Okay, um, well, it's quite challenging to be honest because we have, um, it's a two different contexts when you do the comparative study of growing up here in the States or in the UK or around Europe compared to Africa, like because we, in Lagos we have um, about 20 million people, which they which is a highly populated um, state. So, and we are, we don't really have like these infrastructures that enable people with CP or special needs get like critical, like adequate medical condition as well. So if you are now very, very rich, you are not on the, on the you are not among the elite, so it's quite difficult for you to get like adequate um, health care and all. So it's really, really challenging. But apart from you, apart from the medical aspect, you, you want to go into education and all that. So it's quite, because they have a wrong pers perspective, about, or perspective about you living with special needs. So some people still believe in the, in, um, 18th or 17th century kind of um, ideology is even if it is even if it is two percent of the population that's still a vast percentage of the population so that's one of the challenges you face when you're growing up living with cp and all forms of disabilities So you said people have a um, 17th century ideology still? I, because we, we still deal with that in the um, Americas or, you know, in the Americas where we try to challenge people's definition of what it means to be human beings, right? So I'm like, how do you go about doing that? In Nigeria, like, do you hit like a roadblock eventually? Like, I'm good, or have you found different methods to get over that hurdle? No, it's um, you know, back in the states, like uh, during the ADA period, you know, people with with um, families with special needs are more or less like helping. They block the road, they go and plant card and all that. But I mean, we're kind of in a we kind of in a new generation. So it's kind of in the 21st century, you understand? So we basically use media, 
pictures, advocacy, and telephone to to narrate the story and change to see like get people from the other side to this side. Well, when I mean when I, when I mean seven eighteenth century, I'm just talking about the um the way the way people see like is more or less the same like around the world like people with special need or cp can't really do the job you understand what i'm trying to say so it's not like uh, it's not like i'm giving a narrative of the 18th century but we just use media to try to engage people to try to create an an, an employable set of people living with special needs not like um not like just fighting for people who are not employable you know at a point if they are employable if they've got the right condition and right degree and they are employable then you can stand your ground like okay you can do the job because he's employable so we try to change the narrative we try to speak um for me basically i try to speak i try to get on shows and give or talk to these different stakeholders and make a different narrative and all that. So that's how that's how we try to change change the minds of the people and get a lot of people on our side to do the work. Yeah, a, a couple of years ago, I interviewed an activist from Nigeria, and they talked about. Um, that they just passed, this is like two years ago, they passed on the civil rights for people with disabilities. You know, it took it took them um, years of advocacy to do that. But you know, now that's two years ago, so what's going on now with the legal rights? And is that legal rights um, enforced by the government? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's correct. Like, Two years ago, they they got a bill signed to to the Congress. Got the bill signed by the president. So, but the in reality, the implementation is is the real thing. When we talk about policies and all, that, it's not about signing it or putting it on papers. You could have it on papers, but if it's not effective, there is no law. So. So we so we still we are still advocating. I know it's not going to be a day job, or it's not going to be one one or two years job. So it's a continuous process. So as long as we, as long as people still talk about it and people still work towards it, we can only make it get better. It's not going to be like one day. Well, isn't for I can say it's in it's in process. Because a lot of NGOs, a lot of people now are getting aware that these things are not so bad as they think it is. Like these people are not like they can do this job. They can they can actually do the job if you give them the right opportunity and the right and the right space to do the work. So at the point now, it's still work in progress. Like that's. That I can say is a work in progress. Well, it's getting better. It's getting better bit by a bit by bit, day by day, and it's getting it's getting more better. 
is okay. This is key. So, the, is there a large um, push? You know, because the United Nations is trying to do the conference on uh, the rights of persons with disabilities, but uh, I'm not sure how much that will affect uh, what's going on on in Nigeria. How do you see um, the rest of the country and the rest of the world um, looking at disability in Africa? Okay, um, from my from my point and my understanding, I see I see there's a there's still a lot of problem. To be honest, the problem is not the the real problem is not, I mean, for me, part of the problem is making the the laws, yeah, but the main issue is not if it's how the laws are going to be enforced. Yeah. So if we if if the laws are enforced in like places like here, there are laws like if you park on this spot, you get fine. If you park on this place, you get fine. But country like 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 us in, like in Nigeria, the same laws, same laws as well. So if you go to the mall, if you go to the mall, if you park on the spot, they give you a ticket. So it's similarly, but it's not that enforced presently. Okay. That's why I say it's a work in progress. So I believe the more people know, the more people champion for these things, then we could get we could get like higher percentage of people getting into employment, higher percentage yeah. of people with special needs getting into political political office, then they will they will always fight for the interest of the of the people. So if you for me, if you are not if you are, if we don't have that that large percentage of people in each sector, maybe private sector or government sector, then there's still gonna be a huge vacuum in the process. So that's how I see it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I I want to know what you know what's the status of um, you know because this is called black disabled men. So what's the status of disabled men in Nigeria compared to disabled women in Nigeria? You know, is it the same or is it you know because you're a man you have more privilege or? Is women, you know, more privileged or, yeah. So what's the status between those two? Yeah, um, there are, are, are more women living with special, with special needs than, than men in Nigeria, but I could always say because men are like raised to be the, the, Breadwinner and all that, so we intend to see more of men outside than more of women. So sometimes you may think, you may think there are more men than 
the status of the LOB eyeball because of the old structure of how you, how the men are, are born to be the head and to be the breadwinner of the family. So a lot of disabled men are outside trying to make something and trying to make ends and means for, for even for their families as well, for their non-disabled families. So it all depends on on personality and and ability to do stuff. You know, that's not too different from here in America, where men, you know, which it's interesting you make the comparison between how men are raised and to, to be breadwinners and things like that, and how disability impacts that. It is, you know, do, do you guys think it's similar here in terms of the acculturation of us being the diaspora? Like, are we raised, you know, you know what I mean? Like, because we do know that there are machismo stereotypes, right? And the moment you get hit with a disability, like, I don't know if you're a real man, you know, I don't know if you can do things, but is it, you know, is that, is that for the group, is that, is that a ubiquitous experience or is it like a one-off? Well, well, I've been fortunate to live in both, both them part of the world. So the pathway comparative studies is more is more or less similar to be honest. Because you because 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 I've lived there, I live in the UK for a while. So um so, and I've, I I I used to come to the US and all that. So if I do the comparative we are just like the same old just like the same old issue like you are you are you you have to prove that you are a real man. You have to prove that you can do this job. You have to you have to show that okay, I will be able to take care of my family. So in as much as in as much as you in as much as they see you like you can you can't do it, then you have to prove yourself times two of of the whole situation. Like if if you are not disabled, you don't need to prove you could just say, okay. They just assume you can take care of the family. But if you're disabled, then you have to prove times two to people that, or to your wife's family or to anybody that, okay, I will be able to take care of my family. So I have right. to put more effort. So I think the, the, old, the old thing is just, it's just more or less the same. Mm. I agree with um Timmy. I mean, men, our value comes from what we do. Like going back to the Adam and Eve model, Adam will go work by the sweat of his brows, while the value of women is based upon the babies they produce, right? So like our value don't come from simply because we exist or because we're human beings. Our value come from what we're able to produce. And most of the time, what we're able to produce to maintain the labor for society that exploits mm. us, right? All right, so I, um, I, I definitely agree with Timmy. And that's why I want, I, want, I want to know, right, part of me believes that we would be a lot further in regards to how we 
um, how we understand what it means to be human if our people had the finance or means or the capital to um, give us resources, right? But because we don't have the capital, because we don't have the resources, and therefore they see us in these dehumanizing situations, right? And make it easy to dismiss our manhood and make it easy to dismiss our humanity. So that's why I said I do put part of the blame on the people, but I also put most of the blame on colonialism, right? Like, tell me, tell me if, if you feel like a common sentiment. I feel like you might be a lot further in explaining to the people in that region if Nigeria had more access to capital, if Nigeria had more access to, to capital to build infrastructure, adequate jobs, not just for people with disability, but for people who don't have disabilities, right? So people with, who don't have disabilities got poor jobs, you best believe people who do have disabilities going to have worse jobs. Right, and that's why like, it blows my mind when people talk about how we need to bring um, disabled people into a job market. You mean you want to bring me into a job market you trying to escape? Like, that doesn't make sense, right? So, uh, yeah, so I, I definitely think we're definitely seen as less than human, but I think a lot of it is simply because of the way capital is, is distributed which reinforces those ideologies that, you know, the poor mentality. The poor is less than human, the poor is disposable. That's why when economic collapse happened, the first people they throw under the bus is um, elderly and disabled people. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. I I think like if if there's more capital, like you said, which is understandable, more jobs than, then people can always change jobs and do stuff for themselves. So, I mean, it could change, it would change the lives of people living with disabilities. Yeah, I agree. Well, I think that's, I think, to be honest, I think the two, two parties have to blame in this thing, the people and the government. So you can't really blame, you can't really blame the people and 100% you can't blame the government. So it's like I always tell people, it takes two to play the game. So you can't really, so I believe two people, I believe the two parties are really, really involved. The people look a little bit, they look down on the people, but the government is, is not, um, there's no funds to, for them to create more jobs and to do more advocacy, more like, encouraging people. So I could say from from um, from Nigeria point of view, I believe that if the, from my own when I was from my master's research, I I realized that that these things fall down to more people seeing people with special needs every other day of their life. So if people if people keep seeing People with special needs on the road, at banks, at schools, at workplace, or their life. With time, people will just people won't even realize that they've got special needs or they are disabled. So, because I'm, I've got I've got friends, I've got my I've got good families, I've got good friends around me. So, I was having this. 
conversation one day and with my friend and I said, oh, do you realize I'm disabled? I mean, she said, no, like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean you're disabled? You, you understand though? She, I mean, he was like, okay. And I said, okay, yeah, I understand because we grew up together. We live side to side from childhood upward. So to you, you see me as a regular kid because you've known me all your life. So, and, and I realized that the more people interact, the more people see, the more people see them at workplace, banks, anywhere they go, they intend to for, they intend to change the narrative and the spectrum of you seeing them as less equal or they can't do the job or they are less human or what. They intend to change the narrative bit by so the more they see, the more the the thing gets better. I could categorically tell you like I've been working in this field for like uh, for like seven years now and I can tell you that okay yes I have seen changes because because the more advocacy we do the more people intend to come into the space like even non non disabled people come more into the space than disabled people <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I I I wonder in Nigeria. I know in in the U.S. and in the U.K. and in Canada, it's called you know disability culture, disability pride, you know disability arts, music, you know quick hop does music and art and stuff like that. You know, I wonder does Nigeria have that because I I'm my thinking is that when you don't have the culture and the history and the politics, then you then you easily go to you know overcoming, which is almost impossible for you know people with disabilities or people of color. But that's that's what society tells you. It's like you gotta overcome your disability, you gotta overcome your race just to be Blended in, so I wonder in Nigeria, you know, is is there like a a high um, um, focus on disability culture, the arts, the history, the activism, you know, stuff like that? You know, in 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 the United States, you know, people. All around the world knows about Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles and all that stuff. So I wonder if there's the same thing in Nigeria. Yeah, a little bit. I must say a little bit because um because um, um we've got some um organizations like like bodies that celebrate people living in special needs and all that, and like they 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 give awards and all that like. They try to create a culture like and like a sense of belonging, like people that work in the field, they get recognized, they get like awards and they do like events celebrating people with them, especially. But it's yeah, I'm not gonna say it's the same as the US or the UK mm-hmm. because it's it's not really, really that big, but it's upcoming, you understand. So uh, like I said. The more we push, 
I I really see like I really see like a good prospect of them improving year by year because like I said I I've been here like over five years years doing advocacy and all so and I I've, I've really seen like I've seen a bit of change so I'm really optimistic but there's a culture because they said they celebrate people with special needs they give them honors and all that. They empower them as well. Like, like sometimes, sometimes ago, the government gave a little bit of grant for people with special needs to start their business and all that. So, I would say there's a little bit of culture, really. There is. Latif, you got a question? Did you study for your master's? Yeah, um, I did a major human resources. I did human resource management. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I think that people are saying, "What what what did you study for your masters? What what was your main major? Your topic?" Oh oh, oh okay um I. Them disability discrimination in Nigeria employment market, mm. which was a case study. So I, I use them. I use them non. I use them the government sector to do my research, which was quantitative research. So, but that was what I did. So it was all around this, all around disability and employment. So. What's one of the most interesting facts you come to learn about in regards to disability labor in Nigeria? What's what? What was one of the like the most interesting facts you have learned during your um journey and completing your master's degree, right? As it pertains to disability and labor in Nigeria. Okay. Yeah, one. I mean, the one of the most interesting part is, I mean, like because I've been like, I've been like six, seven, I think like eight years ago now. That was when I did my master's. Or there about like, yeah, eight years, eight years there about. So from that till now, I've seen like, I've seen like, I mean, it all teaches to be strong and to all be like not giving up on anything so the journey for me personally has been really really like i have to keep pushing to see the difference i might not see the i might not see 100 different but even if it is one percent change or two percent change in my lifetime then i mean i would say i've i've contributed my own quarter of, to the system to see a bit of change. So for me, I, that's my, that has been the journey so far for me, trying to make a change, trying to get more people, I mean, more people employed, more people, I mean, to know that people with special needs can, can always do the job, even if, even if they, even if they are not employable, they, I mean, even if they are not academically, sound like 100%, but they've got something they can give 
to the society. So, like in my like in my in my nonprofit, if if you are if we see that you are not academically too good, we teach you how to use. I mean, we teach you a skill acquisition program. Right. So you so you will be like, okay, just because I can I can't go to college, I can I can go to uni or I can't move forward in my education. And then I'm not gonna do anything. Then we teach you how to use skills if you wanna do so, if you wanna sew or you wanna make shoes or you wanna learn a craft or or you want to, or you have a passion to draw. I mean, anything you're good at. We, because I believe there's always a potential. There's yeah. always one thing in in every woman. The, every woman has a potential. It might not be academic. It might be art craft. It might be anything. But my one is, I believe, one way or the other, you have one thing you can give to society. So if we know what you're good. Obviously, we would know what you're good at because you have to ask you or we'll try to figure out what you're good at. Then we move from there. We we get into placement and I mean, then you can do something at the end of the day. So, so that's it. Mm. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that that's sort of the challenge over here is to get, you know, and Otis and I think Latif and Leroy had touched on this. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, it, I hear it coming through uh, the discussion. You know, it's almost like our integration, quote unquote, back into the society is dependent on, you know, external definitions of what our skills are, right? So, like you said, everybody has potential, and you know, there's nothing. Like, I guess the question would be, well, what stops me from getting to my potential? It's not that I don't want to reach my potential, but if I can't get out the door, right? If I can't get into school or if my culture has said that the way that my humanity is, is not worthy of being in included in the culture. How do we get beyond that? Because that's not just Nigerian or Kenyan or South African or Namibian or Chadian or even, you know, people from St. Louis, right? So in your travels, have you seen things that would give you, um, you know, inspiration to, which is, I hate that word, uh, but uh, insight into what better ways we can do that without having people go, oh, look, we got you a job at Kmart. Or, oh, look, get right, like you drew me a coloring book today, hooray. But giving the people, um, their skills or their talent can be their business, can be their um, joy, can be their job. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, um, like, like I said earlier on, like, um, we, we intend to, for me, like, I, I use sometimes, sometimes I go into schools, I go into communities. I use myself as a case study, like just to get people on their feet. Like, because I've got a situation, there was one girl, there was one lady, like she wasn't, she lost her sight at the age of when um, I think it was eight or nine. I wasn't too, 
I'm not too sure, but she lost her sight. Then she got depressed. Then she said she's not, she doesn't want to go to school because she wasn't, she had not, never been used to using the braid and all that. Too. But I mean, I had to go to her. I said, look, this is me. Like, this is my own story as well. Right. So, but look at me today. I've got a master's. I'm doing okay. So don't limit yourself. I need you to get back on your feet. Yeah. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say I'm encouraging you, but I need you to do this because you have to do it. Because at the end of the day, you would be useful to yourself. We, and I make, and I, and I had to, I had to make her realize that we are from a system that don't give no benefit from the government. So you don't get house benefit, you don't get food stamp, you don't get nothing. So it's whatever you do or whatever you make out of life, that's what you get. And what unfortunately she took my words, she went back to school. And yeah, so now she's in, I think she's in, she's in high school trying to get a, a, a GC. So, so we, that's why we, inter, for, for like our generation, like we use us, we use some of us that are a bit doing something. We use ourselves as the role model to channel them to, see them like to make people see like okay if this person can do this that means you too you might be able to do it with the right opportunity with the right things in place or the equipment or the or if you cannot go to school but there's something you are good at see i i like i like to go back to activism because you know in individual push is great but if you don't work for, for us in the u.s if you don't push the government artists or the institution then then you really you know stuck with in, individual you know doing their own work and that's good but you know how is the activism there in nigeria people with disabilities that's that's i think that that's how you push the government that's how you push for change and that's how you push um, people's attitudes to change is activism is when when disabled people come together and they push the government government or they push institutions yeah uh, yeah the activity activism is going well because i mean it's a bit slow but we we were able to get like we were able to get Lagos State, which is my state. We were able to get them to sign. Apart from the the national bill, we were able to get them sign the state bill for for people living with special needs. So if you is in the law, if you if you discriminate against someone, and it can prove in court beyond reasonable doubt, then then they would give you some certain amount of money which is in the which is in the bill. So like we 
like we come out on them on World Disability Day, people come out, they, they try to share awareness, try to have an event to celebrate, to share people more. World Celebrate Palsy Day, World Blind Day, all these you know, all these days that are in the uh, in the UN agenda for people with disabilities. So people come out, they try to to advocate, to share knowledge, to enlighten people and see people more. But I mean, but is is more is more or less is different. Like I said, from here, like when people block roads and all that, we don't they don't block roads. But so it's more or less like for it's a different scenario. Most people do like NGOs, like NGOs. They work with private sector, work with government, work individual, work with corporate, but but this work with with fellow organization. So it's more or less like it's a bit different. More of individual and area working in areas than raising placard and all that because at the end of the day, they at the end of the day, most times if you if you organize an event and everything, if it lasts for four hours, then most times is the end of the show. Yeah. So, so why why give in four hours? Then at the end of the day, that's the end of the show. It's going to be to the next, to the next event, to the next event. And organize organizing an event is not that easy. You have to get approval. You have to get this from the government. You have to get this from the state, state government and local government. So if you don't get the right approval, you won't really get to organize an event. So and at the end of the day, most people, they've got like family, family, family stuff that they have to do on their own. So and everything like they have to chase, have to feed their family and all of that. So. It's really, 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 really. Apart from the national days like that the UN recognized, it's just it's just really hard to be honest to get people together to come on board to say, okay, we want to do this event today. We are going to do another one in two months' time and whatever. So that's it. In your findings, what sorts of jobs did you see people with disabilities be employed in Nigeria? Did you see that attending the university increased people's chances to be employed and be successful? Yeah, 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 that's, yeah, to be honest, yeah. I've seen people work in banks, people work in um, government sector, people work in private sector as well, but people work in banks, people work in, and law firms and but um the 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 thing is the more educated you are the more you have a chance of getting a job so you have to you have to really prove that you you can do the job because you being disabled you are on the they see you immediately on the bad side that you can't do the job so you have to be able to show what you want, you have to show that you are quite 
capable of doing this job and, and they can always count on you to deliver. So, I mean, I've seen a couple of people doing it. A couple of people working, working in good spot being, and they are disabled, so people do. In the West, they always talk about everything is based off of merit and everything is based off of your capabilities, right? But I think we have seen time and time and time again, that's not the case. So a lot of times if a person have a severe disability and the employer think they might have to invest a lot of money yeah. to make adaptations, they won't hire you. So does the severity of the disability in Nigeria? Exactly. It's the same. It's the same, to be honest. It's the same back home because it's the same. It's like they will see you like, like doing reasonable adjustments for you. It's going to cost them more money. So, I mean, like I read a child in my research. So back in school, that's what they call, they call indirect discrimination. Mm. So you can, you can, you can always discriminate against someone indirectly, which is very, very difficult for you to prove in, in, in employment, in the employment tribunal. So if I say, if I say I need them for this job, I need them, for example, I need them five feet, six, mm. to the job, and, and you coming with five feet, five feet, five, you understand? and. And I, and I and I know that and I know that your your credentials is very good. You are the right candidate for the job, but I might just turn you down because uh, because on the on the on the narrative of the employment of the left of the advert says five feet six, but what's the difference between five feet five for me to turn you down? Just because you are half, half, an, half an inch, and I know you are the right candidate for the job. So, so if the, so at the point that they use that a lot because you can't really tell, you can't really prove your case is written there. So, uh, severe if it's if it is mild CP, mild um, disability like mild CP, yeah. if they see that. You can always do this thing by yourself without without costing them nothing. Okay, yeah, they, they would give you they would give you the opportunity. For example, if you limp, if you limp and you apply for a job, they know okay, it's not affecting your hand, it's not affecting you, it's just limping. So if you sit, there's nothing. So the, if you if you are behind the counter. Nobody sees your leg. Mm. So they'll say like, okay, we can do we can employ you. So but how will they employ you when you're on a wheelchair where where the entrance is not accessible? So there's no way that's that's it's it's seriously that's that's the purpose of passing that law to you. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I can't say it's the same thing here in the U.S., but it, it almost it is because, 
our laws are not enforced, you know, but, you know, it's, it's, you know, you can walk around New York and see how it's inaccessible, but accessible at the same time. But it, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just outraging because, you know, like I said, I talked to two um, disabled people in Nigeria years ago, and that's, that's the reason why they passed the law. So once again, it's not enforced. So what's you know, it's 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 so frustrating. It's so frustrating because it's like you you know they 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 pushed, they pressured the government for almost two years to pass that law. Now the law is is on the books, but you know you're telling me that it's not enforced. So people like get a job. Can't really rely on the law to say, oh, the idea accommodations for this job. So this job needs to accommodate for my disabilities. Oh, it's just, yeah, it, it's just so frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really difficult to be honest. You go, uh, the, like, I, like I always call it, I call it paper law. You know, they give you the paper. They give you the law on paper. <laughs> Just because you want this law, we'll give you on paper. That I call it paper law. That means they want the law to suit their narrative, United Nations narrative, yeah. that we have it on paper. And if a law is not functioning, then it's not a law. Well, they will tell you they have it on paper. It's a law. But the question is, what can you do? That's the question. So it's it's like still beating around the cycle. Like after fighting for for them to sign the law, which takes a couple of years, then okay. now you're on your now you're on on another page of the whole situation. Like you're trying to get the law to lobby any in effect, which you can't really, really, you can't, at the point, if it's not effective, then, then it's no law. So that's the, that's the whole scenario we, we're facing at the point. So we intend to push, but we still need, that's why I say, that's why I say like, I always tell people like, okay, we need to get family, rich people, I mean, the elite people that have kids with special needs, we need to get them on board. Like, okay, yes. If you've got a son or you've got a daughter living with disabilities, do you want your son not to be able to go to the mobile by yourself when I'm wheelchair? I mean, you've got money, you've got people in government. Why don't you pressure them to do this? So the, the old idea now is to get the people in government, the people who are, that know people in government that can make this change alone with them. Because if you leave it to the middle class and the lower class, nothing is going to be done. That's, that's, the, that's the basic truth. So we need part of them to be able to make this law effective. That's it. Yeah. I, th I think that's one of the more frustrating parts of, of the story 
is that we are depending on people who put themselves in positions of decision-making power. Exactly. And they are, right, and they're in positions of making these, uh, of making determinations, except they're making it based on the fact that they don't like nobody. Like, they don't like the fact that you have a disability. So, yeah, congratulations for the for the law, but we ain't going to do nothing about it. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, thank you for, thank you, Dan, we were going to school and being brilliant and doing all that. But what we going to do in the meanwhile is nothing, right? And so if you were in position, if you were in that position, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating, but it's also indicative of the challenge, right? So, you know, the challenge is what? How do you get people in those positions who understand, like your friend, uh, who doesn't see you, quote, his disability, unquote, but sees your humanity, right? Like, how do we get people in positions that, you know, if I show up with cerebral palsy, like, they're not going to freak out because they're not comfortable with how I showed up. Ironically, we may not be comfortable with the way they showed up. Right, so if you show up walking and think you all slick like I don't trust you, right? So how do we, you know, it's it's it's. it's I mean, I, I don't know if there's the actual answer, but in terms of going, you know, coming where you come from, going to around the world and, and speaking to us, do you think there is a lane for um, people with special needs and disabilities to to get into politics, to get into the community to get into changing the narrative versus, you know, hoping that people who give you the paper law actually take their heads out of the butt and do what they're supposed to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, we love you, but we ain't gonna do shit. So I guess that's the question. Yeah, I mean I would say I would say that there's three ways to do. I mean there's I would say okay. I could look at it from a three-way perspective. Like, number, mm. one, number one, to be honest, we need to improve. We need to speak more, advocate more, like more, like continuous, like keep bringing it in there every day, every day, every day. So they keep hearing these things and until it becomes part of them. Number two, then if that work, if that goes a long way, then I'll, I'll tell people to bring their disabled kids out. You understand? They yeah. need to come out. They yes. want, they want that can be educated. They need to, they need to get that education because education, education goes a long way. I won't be, I won't be speaking to you today. If I'm not like, if I'm not educated, so I won't know what to say. So education goes a long way. So that that second strategy, then they get educated. Then they get they mix. Once you go to school, you got different friends. You go all around the world. If you got opportunity, you go on scholarship or or fellowship or whatever. Meet different set of people. Then. You can always say, okay, we are going to change this narrative. Right, right. So so for me, if if for me, if I've got like friends that I met I met in school or around the world, they go into politics, then I can lobby. Yes. 
body change that other people need. Because at the end of the day, I will just pick up my phone or my email at the end. I will write like, look, these things are not right. Right. Doing like this. Let's do this thing. If I'm if I'm privileged or lucky to be in this spot, it doesn't mean the next person that has disability is good is gonna be as privileged and lucky as I am. So That's why right. don't you make this change? So then then if I've got like different people doing the same thing, then we go yeah. all just get on board like okay, let's fix this, let's make this, let's implement this law. Call this number if this is if they've done this for you, ring this bell if they've done this for you if you are disabled. These are these are the tax force. These are who you could go to to if they've done something wrong to you. Then if two, three people are, are like brought to the law and they face the law and everybody sees it like okay, this organization has paid fifty thousand dollars to this to this person. This organization has paid twenty thousand dollars to this person. Mm -hmm. Then at the end of the day, the rest people is gonna sit up because they know. Then they know the law is in effect. Like okay, yes, if you cross the line, you get the punishment. So it's right. about it's about advocacy, bringing them out, getting people educated, getting them to run for office, or getting them to know people that run for office that they can always lobby. They are case against. That's when we're going to see the real change. Well, we got your back, bro. Just to let you know, we got you. Yeah. We got you. Okay. Good this here. But we got you. Yeah. Oh. I mean, that's when, that's how, that's how I feel we, we're going to see like a bit of change in this whole system. Yeah, you know, on, on that point, you know, how can Kripat Nation, you know, help or assist you? You know, we, Kripat Nation is international. We have chapters all over Africa and you know, over the world. So, you know, how can Kripat, you know, and other people, you know, help people with disabilities in, in yeah. Okay. How can do you mean how can you help like people like people like people in in living with disabilities back home? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean we could help too like um like what? It all depends on the as the aspect or sector that each yeah. and every one of us working. So maybe we could collaborate or more or do something or more mm -hmm. like um on the advocacy side of things and, and because you won't be able to do the policy implication. I mean implementation is a two different countries. So right. we could work on on the advocacy and maybe try to empower like few 
young kids, try to get get them back in school, something like that, or like inspire them and all that. So we could we could do stuff like that, stuff around that. Yeah, we got you. Okay. Latif, you got a question? Comment, money. <laughs> Currently, what is the most important change you want to see in Nigeria? Yeah, um, I most, to be honest, the most important change I want to see, I want to see, I want to see life of people living with disabilities get better. I want to see young children living with special needs in school, in inclusive school. I want to see them live up to their expect, I mean, to their dreams in life. Because I feel like, I feel like I'm one of the few lucky ones who, who is privileged to be where I am today because I've got like a good family was there for me so i want like i want to see them excel i'm passionate about seeing them have a good life especially young kids because i believe they are the future of tomorrow i mean at the end of the day i'm i'm in my own mid-year life so i'm not gonna say i'm the future because i'm going old going <laughs> white here at the end of the day White is coming, so I'm old already. So, so I want to see the next generation take up places. Like, I, I want to see us having like our own ministry of our own ministry, like like our, our own minister, like minister of people living with disability. You understand? Right. So we have about we have about twenty million people living with special needs. So. I want to, I feel like my joy will be the day we have our own ministry, not like we going under some ministry, we like our own, like this is ministry of people living with special needs. Because we are like, because when you have about 20 million, that's more, that's far way more than some countries. For example, that's more than New Zealand. That's more than some European countries. So mm. you have a population living with special needs, which is like a country, then, mm. and then I believe they should have their own ministry, like their own ministry, like their own like ministry, so they can they can have their own minister. Then they will then then the minister will be the one at the board. Right. In parliament, yeah, that's that's what other um, African countries have. Like South Africa, they have a ministry for people with disabilities in the government. Exactly. So they they push, you know, the government on the ministry, you know. So um, Nigeria doesn't have that. Doesn't have no, we know. We don't have we don't have we don't have the ministry. We have um we have a ministry called uh, Ministry of Human Human Affairs. So they are they are under that ministry, which which I tell people is 
to me is wrong. We don't have, when you have about 20 million people living with special needs, I mean, you sh they should have their own, own ministry where their case, they can go to their, to their minister or to their whoever to always champion their complaint. And he can, he can always take that to the board or to wherever he wants to take that. So it will, that would be like, okay, this ministry, there are like 60% of these people working here is gonna be disabled who, yeah. are, who are capable of doing the job. That's the point. Yeah. In case, could, could, could that be the next push, the next advocacy is to get the government to, 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 to have a ministry of people with disabilities? Yeah, I mean, that's what I think, though. I have to talk to, maybe when I talk to some other advocate like me, then we might just keep pushing, we might just start pushing that, that narrative, because that's, that's just my own, my own personal suggestion. So if, we, if I talk to some more advocate and everything, so maybe for me, that could be a good push. Because when you have that, you have 60% of, let's say, okay, let's give you 60% of people with special employed there. Uh, that creates another employment opportunity. Then at that point in time, if 60% of you can make that decision for the rest to get better life, then that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So we won't, so at that point in time, we won't blame nobody who will blame ourselves, people living with special needs. Because now you're like six, you've got stake in it, in the government. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I think that that is, um, I, I, I'm, what I'm picking up, and I hope the listeners are too, is that there are regional um, particularities and certain things that we need to be aware of in terms of like, you know, local culture, local um, politics. But there's, there is a thread throughout everything that you said that cuts across the entire diaspora and it cuts across the entire disability spectrum. It's that running up against people who claim to be um, non-disabled or who are different in terms of how they show up as a human making determinations about what we can and cannot do. And then saying, you know, we're smarter than you because look, we're not, we're not like you. We're gonna tell you how, how much better we are than you. Exactly. Even, though we don't, even though we're not smart enough to, to judge you on the fullness of your humanity. So I just, you know, I just want, I want to highlight the fact that we, we are much more, we are much more in common than we are different in terms, you know, location is location, but running up against people who are oh, like, dude i'm gonna have to call 88 the paper law i mean we have some kind of <laughs> you know it has some kind of teeth to it but not really you know it, you know like you said it takes time to how do you prove discrimination when people go see i didn't do it um that tends that's that's here it, it's in america it's what do you mean i'm racist 
Like, like, what do you mean racist? You just burnt the cross on my lawn and, and, and walked down the walk down the hallway with a Confederate flag. So it's it's. I think it's interesting how, you know, you have different perspectives, but still, how people are managing to intellectualize their hate and and, and weaponize it in terms of public policy. So I just wanted to make sure that people understand that it's not just here in America that this is. This is a global thing. I had to um, get one of my books um, because I mentioned disabled ministries, mm-hmm. and one of the one of the reasons why I'm hesitant about um, amalgamating to the larger disabled movement in the West because it undermines decolonialization to me. What mm-hmm. it used us as motivational stories, instead of talking about the policies that limit us not as individuals, but as collectors, mm-hmm. right? So in this one book I have, it, essentially he's talking about using your buddies to bless others, right? But there's a section where he talked about his family leaving one country, going to another because of the policies. Right, because of the restrictions. So there's only so much to pull yourself up by your bootstraps <laughs> that even this person could do. So I'm wondering, the disabled ministries that's either on the continent or that you're trying to build up, do you think it's going to focus on policies and focus on decolonialization, focus on talking about the realities of the collective, or is it going to use it like motivational stories? If he could come up, you can too, regardless of the policies that hold us back collectively. Right? Like, are they going to weaponize disability? Is that something I'm asking? No, for me, I think he's doing focus on policy and enforcing. That's what, that's what, that's what, what I'm looking at. Like, I know, like you. Using disabled people to sell a story. No, it's just going to focus. It should focus on policy and enforcing the, the law. And housing. I mean, there you could talk about housing. You could talk about infrastructure, make them, um, make, uh, enforce that the next building that, that, that contractors are going to build is going to be accessible. If this building is not accessible, then, then, Pull it down or don't build it. So that's a, that's gonna be like policies starting. Even when even when Lagos is is congested, like a lot of people live in Lagos. But you might start from the next state. You might start from Lagos. But if it's well, if the next state is well, which is not which is not congested, is now gets developed. I mean. I wouldn't mind if you, if I'm going to have like um, a good road um, accessibility or a ramp in the next state, people will start to move. Mm. You understand? People mm. will start to move. Mm. I mean, at the end of the day, I've been in California before. California is different from Texas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so if, if I, for me, if for me, if I want to leave that, um, uh, for a disabled person, if you ask me, like in the state, where should I mean, where should I live? I'll tell you, okay, it's better you live in California than you living in Texas. <laughs> oh man, listen, 
You oh, ain't stay there twice for the people in the back. Like, <laughs> yeah, but that's the truth. Because you, you won't be able to, you won't be able to ride your bike at, at a bay because you understand. You won't be able to to move. Like it's all two different, two different sets. So if if Lagos is congested and the next state is pretty well accessible for people with special needs, then I would move there. Then the next other state, it could get better. So yeah. it's just about having that space for for you to make that law enforceable and for, and for you to build on the next laws, infrastructure, housing, yeah. and all that. Then I, if those are in place, then you might sign, you might get them to say, okay, disabled people will always get free food and we always get maybe 5,000 or 10,000 a month yeah. as yeah. benefit. You understand? Then develop, then develop a, a then they register. Then they know that okay, these are the percentage, these are the names. We give them two thousand naira every month, or we give them oh, five thousand naira every month because of oh, to be able to assist them. Is that right? You make you make it look you make them feel like okay. We owe you this, not because you are disabled, but because it's our, it is your part of your right to be able right. to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, 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 I also when I interviewed um, those actors a couple of years ago, they also told me that the president of Nigeria at the time was telling lies about calling the UN Treaty on Disability. That he was going around the, the world saying, oh yeah, we were calling the UN Treaty on Disability. Mm -hmm. But he, he was really blocking it. He was really not calling the, the UN Treaty on Disability. Yeah, well, like I said, that goes to the paper law. He's on paper. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm people people we make we make we make them look good in the media and yeah look, and they look good at you know when they give their UN speech and UN whatever yeah so I mean that and that's the reality there's difference between if being effect yeah I mean there's difference between effectiveness and and just write in the paper. So, like I, like I always tell people, if, if, they, if they ask me, don't you guys have disability law? I say, yes, we've, we've got paper law, which is, I mean, everybody, everybody has paper law, but what is, what is, anybody can write the law. It's just yeah. about you writing it and putting it yeah. on the president's table, they put his signature there, they come on the media, they say, oh, we've given the, Oh, it is, it is blah, blah, blah. Oh, well, I mean, so, oh, 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 it's not going to change nothing. I didn't know yeah. So I feel like they just say, okay, just take, all of you just take and, let, and leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs>
Mm. Oh, you know, for, for, for example, in South Africa, when, when Mandela was president, the, 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 the disability minister pushed Mandela to, to, to do what's right with people with disabilities. So he was pushed and educated at the same time by the minister inside the government. And that's that's why I go back to having and you know we we gotta play these games just to get a small piece. So just having that minister, you know, like group in the government that has people with disabilities that can push back and say, no, no, President, you're lying on camera about following the UN. You can't do that. See now, now he 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 has no pushback, so he can he can say whatever he wants to say, but there's no pushback. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that, that that brings me that brings me back to to that brings the whole situation back to where I said that if we have like a ministry, yeah, we have somebody on the table, yeah. And that person must be disabled. You understand? Yeah. So if he feels that we know that it's one of us that has failed all of us. So it's not good. So we would we won't we won't say we don't have a stake on the table. Yeah. If we have a stake on the table, if one if he fails after four years, we kick him out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I think that will go a long way. Yeah, my own opinion. Well, yeah. I think that opinion, that one, will go a long way for us. Then individual NGO, grassroots, everything. They'll be doing the grassroots. They'll be doing the the bottom advocacy and all that. Where if we, if we have somebody up there, then you will be working on the policies. Mm. Sure. Sure. Mm. Sure. I see I see that Ronnie Ronnie is trying to connect. I don't know. But I, I, I love you all. Unfortunately, I do have a, a hard deadline of 1030 because yeah. I'm on the coast. Um but Tanley, thank you again so much for taking the time out to talk about such a very important um, issue and to put a, a face on it that's different from, you know, the little cute kids in the commercial where everybody gets all like, oh my God, we need to send money and help. But really talking about substantive change, things that people can do, things that people are doing. Um, and I really like the fact that you are encouraging the youth Mm-hmm. To to take up the to take up the fight because I'm you ain't old I'm old like mm-hmm. I, I, I ain't got no head this that's how old I am mm-hmm. so um but I want to thank you again my apologies for not being able to stay a little longer but you are in your very very expert hands uh, regarding the discussion I just work here so brothers I will see you all hey take it there keep all right thank you you guys take care. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Hello. Getting kind of late.
Ronnie, Ronnie, are you there? Yes, uh, I'm around. I'm sorry, I came in late. I was caught up by something else at home. And then uh, I really misread the message. I thought it was uh, tomorrow, only to realize when I read it is today. I'm really sorry, you guys. I'm really very sorry. That's okay. I mean, do we stay on for another five minutes and give everybody some time? Is that okay with anybody? I know it's late. I'm here as long as you need me. I'm good. But Keith, is that okay? Yeah, it's fine. Talking too much. Yes. All right. So we all agreed to stay on. So thank you. So Ronnie Ronnie is from Uganda. He's a Quip Hop member. Um, he's a reporter. And Ronnie Ronnie, introduce yourself. Thank you so much, Eloy. My name is Ron Mwanga, the real name. And my stage name is uh, Ronnie Ronnie. I'm a member of Quip Hop Nation and founder of Hop Nation chapter Uganda. Uganda is in Africa, uh, part of East Africa, neighbored by Kenya, Tanzania, South Sudan, Rwanda, Democratic Republic of Congo, with a population of around 45 million people. Well, um, a lot of things are happening in my country. And right now, uh, I'm in the US since 2019, where I've been uh, trying to get some kind of funds to, to start up a project back in my country that is going to be a, a resource I've started already a resource center. My initiation before was to get uh, a piece of land uh, around five acres, but uh, due to issues with the resources, I only managed to get a smaller piece where I have started constructing a resource center for both disabled not yet talented, but also the talented ones. And in that resource center, we plan to have um, a recording studio, both audio and video. And then uh, put some resource materials for those who want to, to do their talent discovery, where they can come with a few staff, where they can be mentored, motivated, and inspired. Um, I remember Leloy previously, as you are telling me to come on to this meeting, I, I decided to embark on this project as a way that so many of my colleagues have the talent, but don't have the resources and um, access to facilities like the recording studios. 
and it's quite expensive to access some of the recording studios in my country. But also, persons with disabilities have not been given too much access or don't have access in a way like uh, for the slow learners, for the slow spoken people, they feel they are not talented enough. But as a person who has been interacting and also part of the disability, disability community, we see this as uh, a discrimination. This is why I come up with this project to see that uh, we can show the leaders in my country and globally that in my country, we have such people who are talented, but have not been given a chance. The chance is only given to sportsmen, but also sportsmen only comes in when there is an event like the recent one, the Olympics in Japan. That's when such kind of things come up. But generally, there is no attention for persons with disabilities. It's ourselves that uh, coming up see this. But even back to the members that I have, they are not all that, most of them, actually majority of them, are not well to do. Most of them don't have jobs. And they are depending on small, small tokens through their presentations and performances. So I entirely embarking on this myself alone. That's where I am. And uh, right now, as I stand, my motto is do a lot of actions and do small talk. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, thank you, everybody. And, um, you know, um, everybody, you know, we've been working together for at least uh, four or five years now. So, um, Ronnie, Ronnie, you know, thank you for that. And, you know, you say let's talk, but, you know, these kind of talks, what we do in Black Disabled Men Talk, reach a lot of people. I mean, yeah. so many people. So, you know, as a journalist, Ronnie, Ronnie, that, you know, um, talking your story and talking your politics and reporting and getting out there could, you know, change things. So, yeah. Uh, do, do, does anybody have questions for Ronnie Ronnie? And like I said, Ronnie Ronnie is coming from U Uganda, although yep. he's in New York now. <laughs> yes, I have one. Is there any extra red tape a person with a disability have to go through in regards to acquiring land in Uganda? Like, do you have Come to again, jump Mom. extra hoops? Come again? Then you have to, like, as a person with a disability, right, who's trying to buy land in Uganda, do you have yep. to jump through any extra hoops that the average person wouldn't? Well, um, the government set up some institutions, like we have a ministry. Uh, but uh, to me, 
like Leloy said, professionally, I'm a journalist. I did a lot of stories on uh, personal disabilities, but also the communities are not sensitized enough because like in some cultures, they regard a person with disability as a caste. Mm. And uh, we, I myself did some stories on a family that abandoned their disabled pa- uh, child mm. uh, in a home. So the community needs a lot, needs a lot of socialization. That's why uh, in my project, uh, um, I want to have that kind of small department of advocacy and uh, sensitization in the community whereby parents or the population can be told that um, or like um, sensitized on uh, that disability is not a curse as they believe in their culture but it's uh, it can be controlled we can we, we can live with it and we can prevent it. Whereas we're trying to cater for our children who are having disabilities. That's like, like I said, it's the, it's the kind of individual initiative which uh, like uh, the ministers cannot address because even the ministers who we have in positions don't have kind of experience in their positions, you know, having a person who is not a disabled person who doesn't have any kind of problem challenge as a disabled, disabled person will not understand what we go through. Uh, we've had um, some institutions having uh, no ramps, you know, for easy access for disabled people live alone the hospitals health facilities, a lot of things, you know, as a developing, uh, uh, not like in developed countries, just still a developing country. They are, they are mandate or like their kind of uh, work is protect themselves in leadership, you know, not service delivery. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Um, I understand I can I can picture when when you say some tribes see people with special needs like um like um differently or they have names that they call them so which which I can always relate to because it's more or less like the same in Nigeria. But if you, but for me that I live in the city which is Lagos, so which is a little bit liberal. So if you go to like on the rural area, like the villages, so it's I think it's more or less like the same though. So I think Yeah, my brother, we seem to be sharing the same situation. Especially most of the African countries. Yeah. Most of the African countries, that's what's happening. Yeah. It's related to witchcraft, it's related to yeah, exactly to, to traditional traditional beliefs. Yeah. No? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, we kind of like shared this because that um that was what I wanted to ask that for. And um I wanted to ask is I know Uganda is not like it's not accessible to I mean infrastructures and all that. I yeah. don't 
it's accessible as well because mm -hmm. yeah i'm not 100% sure because i've not been there i've been in south africa i've been in zambia so i could say south africa is a little bit is accessible like yeah well zambia is not and i'm sure uganda is not as well so yeah, like I said, uh, most of the African countries, we are almost sharing everything because like it starts from our leadership. You know, most of our African countries, we have uh, leaders who just uh, came by war, you know, whereby there is no freedom of expression. So any leader who just fought and caused the war is only about protecting themselves in power and um, just mining about their own business, not about service delivery. Because I, I doubt if, if at all, I think one of the ministries we have, as uh, it's called, it's under Ministry of Gender and Labor Development, um, they hardly, hardly convey meetings or workshops for persons with disability to get their challenges, to get to know uh, what exactly is going on in this kind of life, what do they need, what kind of facilities are needed in place. Because if you cannot even elect or put a leader who will, this is one of the challenges or the other, like any other community, you know, that's where the problem comes in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I understand, to be honest. I mean, we are on the same page. I mean, mm -hmm. It's quite difficult, it's quite challenging, but I mean, it's what yeah. it is. That's how we, like, a, like I tell people, like, most of African problems are more or less like the same. So, yeah. you see a Ghanaian, or in a, or, or someone from Ivory Coast, if they share their story, you can always link it to someone from Senegal or someone from Mali or something. By the way, I had the chance to, to work with some of these leaders because of my profession as a journalist, because uh, the television station I was working for would assign me uh, to go with, um, to go to the field, do stories, and you find that's where I got the college and said, no, I'm not able to continue this with this kind of people. Let me start doing something that I feel uh, could be beneficial uh, to my colleagues who are having challenges. Uh, well, as to a certain extent, I would say they were doing it wrongly, but I would also say I appreciate it because it exposed me to know what's going on. So I used to hear stories because uh, at least I've, I traveled much of my country. I know what the Western culture, Western not as not from both countries, but uh, like the Western region of my country. Uh, they treat 
disabled the people differently. You go to Northern, different story, some similarities. You come to Central. And like this COVID period, it has been much on um, person with disabilities because uh, in my country, these are the people you find on the streets trying to sell foods, trying to sell um, a few small items, jewelries, you know, to feed their families. But uh, they found it so hard because um, ever since um, the break up of uh, the breakout of uh, the COVID-19, my country has been uh, experiencing curfew, you know, and curfew in this meaning um, people are supposed to move at a particular time and stop at a particular time. Like for instance, they would move from uh, six in the morning and uh, by five o'clock, nobody on the street. It reached an extent of where so some people lost their lives um, due to security actions by shooting them, you know, as if it, it, it looks more like um, COVID is, is, is uh, an enemy of government, you know, that's how it has been till today. There is curfew. However much it's a scientific kind of a war whereby doctors are trying their best to get the vaccine, to do ABCD, put this in place. In most of our countries, I think our leaders have taken it to be like uh, opposition, no? That way. So most of my colleagues back home, I think I would say they are just resorting to begging. Because uh, most of our leaders believe they are good leaders when the population is just begging them. They don't want a community or a population which is working because they know they have a proverb which says, uh, which people are uncontrollable. Yeah. So, Lula, I think, I think Latif has a question. And I think after this question, we can unwrap it up and thank you, Rani Rani, for coming. But Latif, do you want to ask your question? Since you're a journalist, what did you observe about how people with disabilities live in Uganda and how do they interact with their community? Come again? Since you're a journalist, what did you observe about how people with disabilities live in Uganda and how do they interact with their community? Well, um, as a journalist, like uh, I tried to expose some of the bad cultures um, in different cultural norms. And then as a journalist, I tried to uplift the pride of persons with disabilities in my country, because uh, I'm proud that uh, some talented disabled persons 
who I got chance to see um, tried to uplift themselves through their performances that I would broadcast, uh, that I would put forward. And uh, at least two of them who are part of my chapter back in home, they are proud of it. Two, some NGOs started seeing the challenges in the cultural norms that they stepped up to come and uh, integrate some programs for community sensitization. I hope you got me well, right? Yeah, that was perfect. So you say, essentially, people are trying to overcome policies by um, what we say, like black excellence or individual motivational stories instead of talking about, you know, the policies that affect the collective. Yeah. Hmm. So essentially, it sounds like they're weaponizing disability, like the white disabled movement is doing in the Americas. Instead of mm -hmm. talking about, you know, colonialization and how it affects um, the country and the economy and the capital of the people. Mm -hmm. um, my, my, my kind of um, observation is uh, there is a kind of movement that always that needs to be started uh, by ourselves. Because I believe it's ourselves who know what we go through. It's ourselves who know what we need. So we would try to push for a kind of uh, movement formation that could push our issues across than uh, waiting uh, for people who don't understand what we go through. That way, we'll be having something to achieve. Like um, what Lily Loy started with uh, Clip of Nation, uh, I know we, we started way long back, some time ago, where we couldn't even find uh, an opportunity that we once ever meet. Not until when we met in UK in 2014, we shared a lot in UK. And uh, unlike in uh, our African continent, uh, African countries, we, we, we lack that kind of unity on the African continent. Mm. Unlike in the US, and uh, and UK and Canada, because when you visit some of these developing countries, it's quite challenging. More than in developed countries, I know in developed countries there are also challenges, but at least uh, you find strong movement. You no, know, for every every kind of uh, participants and a kind of community. So we need to see how best 
we could build a strong movement as well back on the African continent in that we, we could be able to get some positions in some of these um, governments um, that we could use to sensitize and advocate more for our rights and the access to service delivery. So I encourage ourselves to see how best we could go thrive uh, to get leadership positions. Like in my country, I don't know what is in other countries, but uh, in my country, I once stood as a secretary for persons with disability, but that was way back in 1996. I won that position, and it was a position that I took over up to the parish level. Unfortunately, at the time, I'd started uh, doing some kind of advocacy. Um, I changed the residency. That was in Ginger. I went back to Kampala. So if at all, there are also situations in your country whereby you have elective positions, please, my brother, um, take opportunity and the chance. If you can't do it yourself, encourage other person with disabilities to stand and get elected. That way we shall slowly by slowly conquer what we are trying to fight for. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, totally. Any, any last words before we let people go? Are we still on? Yeah, we we're, we're for the teeth to, to, to give us something. Thank you, Timmy and Ronnie. Ronnie, for coming on new show. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, brother. Yeah, thank you, brothers. Thank you, Otis. 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 Thank you, Thank you, Good night, people. Okay. Good night. It was a pleasure, bro. Yeah. yeah let's, let's stay in contact. Bye. Bye. Peace, man. Nice to meet you, everyone. Yeah, bye, Otis. Thank you guys so much. Bye.